today's talk will fall roughly into four categories, and I will start about the uh, talking about the use uh, of anthropometry uh, and living standards, some methodology background briefing, and then I'm going to talk about the uh, yeah, descriptive uh, analysis about some comparative uh, analysis. Um, and part three will deal with the multivariate analysis where we answer who gets healthcare, who's better off in North Korea, are the elites, is the military better off uh, in this totalitarian society, uh, which you can uh, imagine has political implications. And uh, last but not least, I'm going to talk about the some uh, current projects on North Korea. And. Um, Anthropometry in the sciences and in the social sciences is a flourishing field in these days uh, where we employ height and weight measurements as health and wealth indicators of populations. Um, height, partially weight, uh, is of course used in the sciences, in uh, public health, among nutritionists, among medical anthropologists, uh, genetic scholars, and so forth. Uh, and by the United Nations recommended to assess child malnutrition. Um, and it's not only used in the uh, SCI and the social science uh, index journals, it's also used in the social science uh, journals. And what we can see here is that the number of articles published in international journals focusing on height has recently quadrupled. Um, height seems to be an accepted welfare indicator, such as life expectancy, income, birth weight, infant mortality, which all have their pros and cons, but uh, they are quite established. And uh, this is where I started off doing research on the two Koreas and the diasporas, focusing on the anthropometry uh, evidence. And my research background is economic and social history. And uh, specifically in socioeconomic uh, historical research, it has height has been employed as, a, as an indicator for living standards, uh, starting with John Collins actually, who uh, coined this term. And if you look at last year's most arguably most important economic history sessions, such as the Economic History Association meeting and the World Economic History Congress, they would have have, have a separate height and human welfare session. So you can see um, that this anthropometry research field, which started as a burgeoning field in the 1970s, is by now a, full, a fully established field in the social sciences, and especially uh, in uh, economic history. Uh, now let me briefly talk about two methodological issues which we have to bear in mind when talking about the analysis later on. Um, but first of all, um, the reason why we take height, uh, why social uh, social science researchers and science uh, researchers use height, is that average height uh, is a manifestation of gross nutritional intake, disease uh, environment, labor. Um, I think this is a generally accepted fact. You probably find it in Stanley's uh, books as well. Um, and yeah, specifically here in the uh, in historical societies where primary needs like food and health are not met, it's a very sensitive indicator to uh, daily necessities, to food intake, um, medical healthcare, uh, and so forth. And um, the other areas in developing countries where height is quite unbiased indicator. And in the case of North Korea, uh, North Korea certainly falls into both categories. Um, into the bargain, height is measured physically, so there's le there are less measurement errors, specifically concerning conventional um, living standard indicators such as GDP per capita. Um, and if we look, for example, as, uh, at the uh, infant mortality rate, uh, height is way uh, less prone to get manipulated. You can quite easily uh, manipulate uh, infant mortality. This has been done in Eastern Germany. This has also been done in North Korea, where you just reclassify uh, infant death as stillbirth. Um, because height is measured physically, uh, specifically in a totalitarian context such as North Korea, uh, this leaves less room for 
overall manipulation and misunderstandings, uh, unconventional cutoffs which are applied and so forth. Um, okay, one aspect here uh, is the uh, use of terminal heights and, and to understand of adult heights. And to understand this, uh, we have to take a look at the uh, yearly age and sex specific increase in stagiar curve. Uh, where we see that the impact of um, on of the environment on the uh, on the cumulative uh, growth is largest in the first two years of life. Now, if we have a cross section, uh, let's say an assessment in 2000, um, we can rearrange these uh, the heights by birth cohort. We can travel back in time. We have a time window of approximately 20 years uh, between 20 and 40 when height is relatively stable, because until the age of 20, we have catch-up growth. After 40, shrinking uh, because of body aging. Uh, so, um, yeah, we have to keep this in mind, this backward projection of height. Uh, we can look backward into history if we assess heights now, which is a quite, uh, quite a, actually, which is the, a basic concept applied in economic history. Now, another concept is uh, applied in nutritional studies is the usage of Z-squad transformation when we are dealing with growing heights because heights are also influenced by velocity um, um, when dealing with preschool children especially. And these are, this is not something uh, where I have reinvented the wheel. These are like uh, standard uh, Z-squad transformations introduced by the United Nations in the 1970s. And um, the basic idea is we take an individual height uh, stratified by uh, age measured in month and uh, sex and uh, related to a healthy reference population um, and uh, express this in terms of standard deviation of the healthy, rever healthy reference uh, population so we know something about the relative uh, height score for, uh, of the individual and for the sake of completeness I also, I also indicated their weight per age and weight per height for acute malnutrition uh, formulas here, uh, which are of less concern here, um, but we will employ them uh, at least the way per each later on. Um, at the end of the second millennium, taking uh, looking at this hyper-age indicator, we find the typical suspects, uh, which is Sub-Saharan Africa, South Asia, which are actually known to be the problematic regions in the world, but what's more important, we find two geographic outliers, which is in the uh, Western Hemisphere, Guatemala, which is not a surprising result, one of the poorest countries in the world, and the United Nations World Food Program last year announced that this country is again, 10 years after this assessment, at the brink of a next famine, uh, with a widening gap between the half and the half-nots, um, drug, having transit uh, uh, country. And in the Eastern Hemisphere, this is South Korea. And, uh, uh, sorry, North Korea. And this is very interesting because um, this country is surrounded by a very stable environment, including the prosperous uh, country of China, Taiwan down here, and the two OECD countries, South Korea and uh, Japan. Now this area here is white because there was no data available. And I've recently been asked by the World Health Organization to reanalyze the data for South Korea. And uh, the prevalence of uh, chronic malnutrition in South Korea around 2000 was two to three percent. And for North Korea, varying by service, it was between uh, 40 and 60 percent, which indicates 40 to 60 percent being uh, suffering from chronic malnutrition in North Korea, which indicates that there is a gap, uh, that, there, that malnutrition rates are uh, 20 to 30 times higher in the north than in the south. And if you look at GDP, for example, we find a gap of 17, uh, which indicates that uh, the South Korean economy is above, around about 17 times better than the North Korean economy. And uh, the idea of anthropometry is that uh, it's a more immediate indicator to, live, uh, to measure the standards of living. It accounts more for the distributional uh, effects uh, than the, the macroeconomic indicators do, where we can see, see clearly here uh, that this anthropometric evidence uh, on the average living standards in North Korea um, is, uh, looks very bleak, uh, 20 to 30 times higher malnutrition. Um, 
there's a large political dimension to North Korean anthropometry, as you can see here. Uh, various uh, prominent uh, politicians have uh, quoted the anthropometric, uh, anthropometric uh, gaps. Um, and um, most recently, the uh, <coughs> McCain, uh, during the uh, US presidential oops, uh, campaign between uh, McCain and Obama, these high differences were uh, uh, injected into this discussion. And uh, most of my colleagues agree that it's probably based on my study that was start actually published in 2008 in the Journal of Biosocial Science, uh, where I exactly find these high gaps. And um, the reaction in the media afterwards, uh, ranging from journalists of The Economist, Wall Street Journal, Voice of America, who have used my um, paper at that time, my research at that time, showed that there is a big interest, public interest, in, the, in these widening uh, height gaps between the um, two Koreas. So we see that there's uh, um, large interest, uh, public interest, in these uh, anthropometric. Uh, differences. So let's have a look um, at these uh, gaps and um, at the least gaps between the two Koreas and focusing here on this uh, the best survey which is available in 2002 we see indeed that the high gap is, is about uh, three inches or around about seven to eight centimeters um, between the two Koreas uh, with expectedly South Koreans being taller than the, their northern counterparts. We can do the same exercise here for weight, um, where we find a weight gap of approximately three kilograms or uh, seven pounds between the two Koreas. And we do the same for uh, the BMI, where we find a gap of approximately 0.8 between the two Koreas. Um, we can talk about this uh, refugees here. This is based on refugees. Uh, later on, if there's interest, uh, there's a plausible explanation for this, uh, why in this case, um, North Koreans are even heavier than South Koreans. Um, so I've so far talked about the recent trends, about the uh, famine, about the 1990s. Um, and I'm now going to provide evidence, first of all, anecdotal evidence on the long-term nutrition history uh, of North Korea, which is largely based on propaganda material, uh, historians who analyze data um, released by the statistical uh, Terra Incognita, North Korea. And uh, what we see is that uh, somewhere in the early 1980s, we have some indications that the foot, that, that the foot crisis uh, seemed to emerge with the, uh, with the North Korean uh, leader, Kim Il-sung, admitting 1979 during a meeting that, um, there's, that he has some concerns about child standing. With the farmer's market suddenly being allowed to open daily, and in the mid-1980s, and this is a typical reaction of the North Korean regime, if you have a food crisis, you launch a propaganda campaign uh, with a movement to become taller, um, which was actually uh, quite useless because children in school were asked to exercise and uh, increase the height, which is stupid because uh, height is not influenced by uh, physical exercise. On the contrary, if you have if you're already suffering from mild undernutrition, and then you start exercising, uh, you will grow less because uh, your energy requir requirements start uh, increase. And, and most experts all, yeah, agree that the uh, food crisis uh, actually aggravated here in the 1980s with the Soviet Union uh, cutting aid. Um, and the North Korean government, once again, uh, responding with a propaganda uh, campaign, let's have two meals a day, wonderful idea. Um, and then, um, yeah, with the food crisis of the 1990s, uh, yeah, drastic measures. Um, and what we have to keep in mind is that in 1995 and 1996, the country was uh, affected by massive floods, which have uh, Divested large parts of the country, in turn attributed to the uh, El Nino weather anomaly. Um, and as early as 2002, we have official reforms, farmers' markets becoming markets, uh, 
I'm going to talk about this uh, marketization of North Korea's economy and also promised markets in the other lecture at the Oriental Institute in more detail. Uh, and if you follow the, the news, uh, more recent trends, actually already starting as early as 2008, the repeal of reforms, the repeal of marketization in North Korea, uh, recently culminating in the, in the new uh, currency reform, uh, as you might have, might have read in the newspapers. So I've so far corroborated these, uh, corroborated uh, the uh, long-term nutritional development by qualitative evidence. Let's have a look at the anthropometric evidence. And first of all, let me mention these are not um, terminal heights. These are not terminal heights. Uh, these have not been uh, adjusted for shrinking. And the reason is because I, I'm here interested in the uh, comparative performance of North Korea relative to South Korea. And we can reasonably assume that the rate of uh, shrinking is roughly equal, roughly uniform in both Koreas, allowing us um, this uh, comparison. Um, now, there are four things I would like to point out. And firstly, as seen here, um, before the separation of the Korean Peninsula, in the aftermath of the uh, Second World War in 1945. Um, North Koreans were slightly taller than South Koreans, um, males. Uh, and this is not a statistical artifact. This is also uh, has been reconfirmed in other research. Um, and, as, uh, and with the separation of the uh, uh, Korean people in 1945, we already see that the South, South Korean males are getting taller. Um, and what is a very interesting finding is that it has long been argued in the literature that the standard of living of North Koreans was better in the post-Second uh, World War era. And this is, of, number one, because of Soviet aid flowing massively into North Korea, and secondly, because communist regions opting for a command economy have usually economies of scale, uh, mobilizing factors, scarce, uh, utilizing scarce resources. And if you look at the growth rates uh, of the economies at that time, we see that North Korea is faring way better than South Korea. But if we look at the um, biosocial welfare, we cannot support this argument that the uh, average North Korean has lived a better life than the average South Korean. On the contrary, the moment this, these nations started to separate, uh, these population was separated, um, the, uh, the North Koreans fare uh, worse. And um, yeah, next, um, what we also see is that the, uh, the height gap is, uh, becomes pronounced in time. Um, and we can easily predict that the height gap will be over 10 centimeters. That is, we stop here at, uh, 19, in the 1980s. We see a drastic and still higher growth spread of South Koreans, who are becoming the tallest in the world, uh, not in the world, in East Asia. <laughs> but by the way, by the way, by, by the way, I, I, uh, I, always hear the, I always hear the argument that Asians are not getting tall. We have to keep in mind, in the 19th century, the tallest in the world were Asia, uh, people of the Asian race. These were the Indians in the Great Plains. Um, and the South Koreans in these days are drastically catching up to Western standards. They have surpassed the Japanese by three centimeters, uh, sorry, who were three centimeters taller just a few years ago uh, by one centimeter at this point. This, this is actually another paper I'm currently writing with uh, some research at the University of Frankfurt. Um, they are South Koreans are probably the tallest um, uh, in, in East Asia and in Asia. Um, they're still growing drastically, and there are also underlying reasons. Maybe we can talk about this in another talk. Uh, and we have to keep in mind here, North Korea, the, big, the great famine of the 1990s is just, it's, uh, sorry, will be here, right? So um, the gap will, be, will, uh, will widen to 10 centimeters, I'm pretty sure. But we, but we have to wait until the North Koreans born in the 1990s have reached their terminal heights. Um, yeah, so, so overall, uh, okay, and yeah, last but not least, um, if we look at the, um, at 40 years of communism, uh, we see here the average height was about 165 centimeters of males. Uh, 
um, after the at the beginning of the Cold War and at the end of the Cold War, nothing has improved um, in North Korea. North Korea is probably uh, over the four past four decades um, have enjoyed the same living standards. They didn't, definitely didn't have much to cheer about uh, health provisions and nutritional provi provisions. Um, I've so far yeah, talked about the long-term evidence. Uh, one thing which is not sufficiently um, addressed in the literature is when was the peak of the famine? We know that the famine, that there were the floods in the mid-1990s. Um, and when I read through the literature and talk to colleagues, they usually try to uh, beat around the bush. They say, oh, there, there was a famine in the mid, uh, sorry, in the 1990s, and they can't give me a year, um, which is an interesting question because uh, uh, it would make sense to know the worst year of the famine. And this is, um, sorry, what I'm doing here. Um, Three possibilities to look at the famine peak. First of all, we can of all we can look at gross nutritional indicators, uh, food balance sheets, uh, supply and demand. Uh, somebody who went through such an exercise is uh, Michael Schlams in 2004, and um, we can see that food calamities seem to start in the mid 1990s. However, if we take uh, the grain production less uh, total requirements. Uh, column here, accounting for food, feed, and seed. We see that the food crisis probably started in the early 1990s already, um, where we also have the anecdotal, the qualitative evidence that the food crisis uh, began to develop slowly into a famine. Um, another possibility is to look at demographic indicators, and this is what a lot of scholars actually do. There's some broad consensus that the food crisis was rather in the late 1990s, because of this um, high prevalence here. Um, with 1997 uh, being the worst year based on refugee service, these are refugee service uh, carried out in China. Um, however, if we look uh, at um, refugee statements, what year did the uh, foot distribution uh, stop? We see that the mid-1990s uh, seem to be the, wor the worst famine years. Uh, so there's a gap, there's a lack of uh, one or two years. And the finding that here, that uh, we have relatively low mortality rates, doesn't indicate that the famine wasn't ravaging the country. On the contrary, it might have peaked. And we can further uh, provide evidence. Uh, and in that time, people, people muddled through. They, have, they tried to survive on whatever cost, selling their last household items. Uh, eating free barks, uh, eat cannibalism, uh, everything you can think of. The North Korean famine of the 1990s is perhaps the largest humanitarian disaster happening in the post-Cold War uh, era, and uh, it claimed uh, some probably between 200,000 and 3 million excess deaths. Um, and people in these years tried anything to survive. Um, and it's very likely that these two years here are just procrastination of what is peaking here, which let uh, scholars argue that uh, the late 1990s are the worst famine years. Now, thirdly, we can look at net nutritional indicators where anthropometry again comes into the picture. And there's one rare, rare account uh, of a survey which was uh, carried out in the uh, Cold War era in 1987. And fortunately, I was able to recalculate the other, um, for the remaining years, the uh, severe underweight uh, rates. Now, we're talking about severe underweight, which tells us that we're not talking about the standard cutoffs of negative three standard deviations below the healthy reference population, but negative three. Senate uh, deviation of the reason is because this resource only reported that um, cutoff. Um, and we're talking not about height, but underweight, which is uh, correlation coefficient is almost 0.7, quite close correlated to um, both uh, weight per height and height per age. It's an in-between indicator. Now, we can do a simple uh, polynomial interpolation here, and what we would find, arguing that the um, gradual decrease of the uh, nutritional, uh, net nutritional indicators goes hand in hand with the nutritional increase. 
uh, and we would probably find that uh, the peak of the famine was in the mid-1990s, which is a reconciliation of the previous findings of the uh, food balance sheets where we see that the crisis started emerging in the early 1990s with the demographic indicators <coughs> where we see <coughs> that the, um, the, the, famine, uh, the, the famine excess, uh, the mortality excess was in the late 1990s and with refugee reports uh, arguing that in the mid-1990s the food distribution stopped and also other reports uh, indicating that black markets, uh, the prices in the black markets peaked at that time. Um, so I, I'm going to uh, talk about living standards by residents. Uh, here we, later on in the multivariate analysis, we uh, going to yeah, talk about this again, but just very briefly here, North Korea falls into 12 administrative provinces, and um, I looked here at mortality and uh, at demographic and anthropometric indicators, uh, and a higher ranking um, indicates uh, better living standards uh, in this table. And we can roughly support the arguments that people living in the capital of Pyongyang are better off uh, than the rest of the country and here in, uh, in adjacent Nampo, which is adjacent to Pyongyang, which is a big harbor city. And uh, this is an issue I address in my paper in the Asia Pacific Journal of Public Health, um, where I argue that um, the uh, that here these residents in Nampo, they also have a relative comparative advantage in assessing food. And the reason is because this is a major, major transportation hub uh, where food, international food aid uh, is shipped to, uh, where warehouses are located easily allowing uh, disappropriation uh, and so forth. Um, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but bottom line here is the residents here in the capital seem to have a, um, an advantage in living standards, uh, which we will find uh, or reconfirm later on. I now would like to uh, very briefly talk about height and birth season, um, something which I addressed in two papers, uh, and I sent you of human biology and the Journal of Comparative Human Biology. Um, the reason is I became more interested in the food seasonality uh, effect during the famine. Um, and there is, uh, this is a meta-analysis of worldwide studies uh, um, on height and birth season. So, in other words, I'm arguing here that there is an early life legacy of late life. Tell me which season you were born, and then on average, there's going to be some impact on late life outcomes, including stature, including weight, arguing in terms of anthropometry, but also, and this has been reconfirmed in demography um, and many other areas uh, of research. Uh, and we are not talking about some esoteric hocus pocus here, we're talking about journals which have appeared in Science or Nature, which have found this link, birth, month, birth, season, and late life, late life outcomes. And there's a general rule, uh, and this general rule tells us that if you are born in spring, you are on average taller than your uh, peers born in other seasons. And if you're born in fall, it tells you uh, that you're on average uh, a little bit shorter. Um, so if you think in terms of uh, birth months planning for your children, if you want to have tall children, give birth in spring, but the, that's the good news. Uh, the bad news is um, here. If you want to have children who live long, you should give birth in fall, uh, in fall because uh, research found that children born in fall have a longer life expectancy, up to six months, which is quite considerable. Okay, um, well, keeping this... Uh, meta-analysis in mind. I'm now I'm, uh, I'm going to, yeah, here I'm going to look at the uh, relation between birth season and um, selected um, living standard indicators, of course, anthropometry, and also here uh, mortality indicators. And um, what we find here is that um, during the 1990s food crisis, uh, North Koreans uh, born in the fall season were not found to be um, actually the shortest, they were found to be the tallest, uh, which you can see here with the uh, best Z score here, um, uh, which is an exception to the worldwide rule. 
And we can also see here the mortality here is, uh, reaches the trough in the fall season. And the reason for this, the very likely reason for this disruption of pattern of uh, disruption of the anthropometric pattern is the food crisis. We have this lean season here, a national food crisis, lean, lean season running from <clears throat> March to August. And um, as you can see here, uh, the main staple crops, specifically rice and maize, are harvested here in the fall season. And so we see a very close relationship here, um, which has also political uh, implications because North Korea can quite easily influence these uh, malnutrition rates um, by intervening into the birth calendar by more focusing on this harvest season, which could be achieved at almost no uh, economic costs. Uh, just launching another propaganda campaign. Um, now, I here uh, tested these uh, 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 relationships statistically, and this is the uh, famine, uh, these are the famine birth cohorts, and again this, uh, yeah, an inverted U-shaped uh, pattern with uh, fall cohorts being the um, actually tallest and not the uh, shortest throughout the year. And now, this is the uh, pattern for South Korean, for non-feminine-exposed South Koreans. Um, and the South Koreans, again, uh, follow the worldwide rule that the fall cohorts are um, the shortest, uh, as we've seen. Um, this is the pattern for the North Koreans born in the pre-famine period. Um, adults who were raised uh, in the 1960s, uh, 70s, and so forth. And again, we see here the fall cohorts are the shortest. And again, so let's go back, the U-shaped pattern. And this is the uh, pattern for the uh, birth cohorts uh, born in the post-famine period, where we, where we more or less can support the argument that this uh, that they follow a U-shaped pattern, uh, though this um, origin of this global pattern doesn't seem to be fully restored, partially because of the continuing food crisis. And now let's go back 100 years uh, in time. These are the heights in colonial Korea, and um, what we see here: the colonial Koreans follow the global rule again with a U-shaped pattern, with the fall cohorts being the shortest and the spring cohorts being the tallest. Now these are not. Let's go back. Uh, these are these patterns are not statistically significant, but we can broadly see that there is a um, that there is a U-shaped relationship. However, what we see during the famine is that there's statistically significant inverted U-shaped pattern, indicating that the famine conditions indicating that the uh, harvest season had has had a high impact uh, at that time. We're now going to start about the uh, multivariate analysis, which is, from a political point of view, the more interesting story to investigate. Um, first of all, I address the standard of livings during the famine, famine peak, um, and um, with height as the dependent variable here. And we're going to look um, at different indicators, first of all, biological variables, which we should control because there are human biological effects. Even though we make use of the Z-score transformation, where we have some control about the um, uh, age and sex because we have related them to the uh, age and sex peers of the healthy reference population, there's an additional impact, specifically genetic impact of girls and who respond more resilient to uh, environmental stress and of age, the more years you are exposed to famine, the more cumulative uh, uh, height stunting you have. Um, <clears throat> but more important are the socioeconomic variables here, which are quite heat, uh, quite controversially discussed in the media because the question here is who gets health care, um, who's faring better during a famine, specifically during the totalitarian famine where access to food is a very important uh, <clears throat> um, issue. And um, I looked at the military first hypothesis. We know that the military is, the, uh, is, in, the, is in an alien position in North Korea. I, I, well, most of these hypotheses here are proposed in the literature. It's not something I have uh, made up. Um, you find them actually uh, yeah, in the literature, and the 
Second uh, argument in the literature is that the uh, uh, natural disasters, uh, as we see in 1995-1996, might have uh, attributed to the uh, stunting rates. Um, and then there's a, an ongoing discussion whether the urban areas uh, are worse off during the famine, which is actually an exception to the rule because um, on a worldwide scale, we find that more children in rural areas are uh, suffering from malnutrition, but not in North Korea because these urban dwellers were supposed to be deadlocked in the city, whereas this rural population had more opportunities, garden farming, livestock breeding, and so forth, um, to self-supply them during the famine years. Um, <clears throat> and then there's a big debate about the government supply, uh, which has the public distribution system has been instrumentalized by the government um, to reward people, to punish people. Um, uh, but uh, and it, yeah, it has been argued that the people who are dependent on the government um, have suffered more during the famine, um, but there is also uh, there are also other arguments um, supporting the view that uh, a lot of food aid, for example, has been channeled through the public distribution system. And even though the, the harvest was low, there was still something uh, channeled through the public distri distribution system as an additional means of uh, access to food during the famine years. Um, and should also be mentioned that um, some scholars actually have argued that the, uh, the PDS was uh, abolished, which is not true. It was intermitted every now and then, as I indicated. There was something distributed through it, but there's a big misunderstanding concerning concerning this PDS uh, in the research. Uh, nevertheless, we have control for it. And then here, the argument that the uh, the local farmers markets, which have emerged already after the quite early in the 1950s, um, which have been tolerated by the government to reduce black market uh, activities and which have um, um, developed into major distribution centers during the famine years when the uh, uh, government supply system uh, collapsed. And lastly, there's an argument in the literature that the uh, provinces, that certain provinces in the Northeast were triaged, they were cut off of uh, public supply um, as a matter of food scarcity um, and also to control for a number of regional characteristics here. Um, this is the regression analysis um, here with hyper-H as the endogenous variable. And um, what we see here is the, um, the uh, human biological e effects with the expected signs um, that may, uh, with um, males suffering from higher malnutrition. And the more years you are uh, exposed to uh, nutritional stress, the uh, higher your stunting is. Um, we see an effect of the PDS, a positive effect here. Um, and what's more important here of the harvest seasons, those who uh, harvest re regions, those who are born or who live in um, uh, harvest regions are clearly better off. And uh, we can't find much evidence here for the um, flood damage and also for the um, um, triage hypothesis uh, in, the, in the analysis, and, and neither for the um, argument that river, urban dwellers were uh, feeling worse during the famine. Well, we're going through a similar exercise here, but now we're looking at the post-famine period. Um, and this time, well, this is the previous uh, analysis uh, where I have largely made use of information published on the county level, uh, which I have linked to the individual uh, heights. Um, and now, uh, in, 2000, uh, in 2002, in the post-famine period, fortunately, along with anthropometric data, detailed socioeconomic uh, uh, variables were collected, allowing us an, uh, an household assessment uh, and allowing us to control for uh, a number uh, of variables in a way more refined way. And uh, again, I'm interested if, in the effect if aliens are better off in North Korea. And this time we have the education of the mother in the data. And um, the respondents were also asked if they hold 
if they have a, a refrigerator in, um, in their household, which is a luxury item according to CIA investigations. Uh, at hot investigations, 1% uh, are supposed to have a refrigerator in uh, North Korea. Even a wristwatch or a bicycle is a rare item in North Korea. And um, specifically, a big item such as a fridge, which has to be imported, uh, is a clear indicator of uh, social status. On the average, we find that 6.5% have a refrigerator, um, which is not that far from the ad hoc estimated 1% by the CIA. Um, in other words, this is a clear social status uh, indicator. Only the aliens, only those who have direct linkage uh, to the uh, political party or military have access to these huge technological devices. And then we, um, I look at household dependencies. Um, again, at, at the PDF, um, at the farmers markets and so forth. And this time we have also information of food aid. Uh, as early as 1997, food aid massively fled into the country. Um, um, so we can see if the, uh, there's a significant effect of uh, our food we are, that we are sending to North Korea. Um, and then I control for a number of cross-nutritional variables here. Um, this uh, has been done because uh, it was suggested by uh, another researcher, basically. Um, and then uh, I look again at the urban areas uh, and another more uh, micro-level uh, demographic factor, the household size and the administrative provinces where we can again control for uh, the triage hypothesis. Um, well, this is the analysis now with height per age, weight per age, and weight per height. Um, for the post-famine uh, post, uh, period. And um, what we see here is that there is a biological impact, again, with the expected science, and, uh, as we've seen previously in the uh, peak of famine analysis. Um, we also see that there is an effect of the uh, World Food Program of the United Nations Food Aid that households who have been supplied uh, that have been supplied uh, by the United Nations fare statistically better than other households. Uh, there's no not, there's no effect of the gross nutritional uh, variables here, uh, which I um, can confirm because I used an F test here, excluded them, and th this doesn't pose a problem here. Um, and they don't matter uh, much. And one reason is also that this, uh, <clears throat> this survey was carried out in fall, and as we've previously seen that um, fall is the harvest season, and if you ask the households, do you have, do you have any uh, rices, uh, rice or maize stored in your household? Of course, because they, it was just harvested, right? So this doesn't indicate uh, food security throughout the year, and that's probably why we don't see these variables uh, matter from a statistical point of view. Um, again, we don't see that the um, significant effect of rural, rural versus urban areas, but now the household size comes out significant uh, with a negative uh, effect that uh, larger households actually, um, children in larger households have a, are faring worse actually, um, which could be a size effect. Uh, and then again, the province, uh, the province dummies here, uh, with as previously indicated, uh, children living in the capital and in adjacent Nampo, Nampo, um, faring better uh, than the rest of the nation. But again, we don't see much evidence for the triage hypothesis here, uh, as these were not uh, those living uh, as the people living in the uh, triage provinces were not found. Uh, Faring systematically worse uh, than the rest of the nation. Now, um, these are some concluding remarks uh, on this uh, assessment of living standards. Um, th the set of human biological variables is consistently found significant here. There's definitely a biological effect uh, during the famine years with the age and gender uh, showing the expected uh, science. Um, and um, the most intrig intriguing finding is probably the finding that there are a lot of uh, significant variables which have been given great place in the literature on North Korean living standards. 
Um, but if you look at, uh, at these uh, variables from a multi-variate multi perspective, we don't find uh, much evidence for this much debated uh, variables, including the ailets uh, on a household level, they don't matter on a county level with the military headquarters, they don't matter. Elites um, do not seem to be systematically better off in North Korea um, on average. <laughs> and uh, we also don't see the, um, flood have, the floods having an uh, effect, uh, which is the official uh, explanation by the North Korean government for the famine. Um, we don't see the effect of the triage of the cutoff areas. Um, and we also don't see this urban effect, uh, which has also been giving much space, uh, uh, place in the, in the literature. Um, however, we, we do see some uh, politically interesting uh, effects. Uh, number one here, ailets on the province level, proxied by the capital uh, and uh, the harbor city, uh, Nampo, uh, are better off. Um, and uh, yeah, food aid seems to ha seem to have mattered in the post-famine, which provides uh, evidence against many researchers in the field and many uh, journalists and other scholars uh, arguing that our food does not reach the people because it's uh, systematically uh, um, taken by the military, which I cannot support here. And lastly, we find a strong impact here of the harvest region and the harvest season, as, as we've seen, uh, which is, from a political point of view, a quite boring result, um, but nevertheless a quite plausible result. Uh, and for all these re reasons, um, after about 12 articles uh, on these um, living standards in North, North Korea, <coughs> I dare say that there is some exaggeration in the literature um, on this living standards in North Korea. The reason is that people want to sell books, researchers want to sell books, journalists want to, <coughs> want to write stories. Um, these people are not really helping in demystifying this country, in assessing the living standards. Um, we cannot rule out that these stories have happened. We cannot rule out that um, the military has deprived the food. But the question is, if this happened on this, <clears throat> if this has happened systematically, uh, which we here from a multivariate perspective cannot support. Instead, we here provide a quite unspectacular evidence that the health <coughs> of North Korean children is largely determined of the harvest region and the harvest season in these in which these children are born by some biological um, variables. Um, and here, this argument, um, if you're living in the capital or not. And um, of course, we have, to be, uh, we have to keep in mind that a certain population is shielded from famines, from macroeconomic shocks. Even if this uh, famine occurred in the southern part of Korea, we would, have, we would probably see that people living in the capital in Seoul would be faring better because they are richer, because the government is located there and so forth. So the finding alone that, um, well, the argument about the elites in North Korea, <coughs> which has been argued most actually, uh, is not very strong. It's, it doesn't find support from a statistical point of view, um, which is perhaps um, yeah, the contribution of this research that it's quite focused on the living standards and not on uh, selling political stories. Again, it's not, um, I'm not denying that these stories um, have not happened. Of course, the military has, soldiers have uh, uh, went pillaging houses. Uh, of course, political caterers have better access to food, but the Again, the question here is uh, whether throughout the country this has uh, had an impact on the uh, living standards, and it did not. Um, lastly, let me um, talk about some current projects. Uh, these are submitted articles on North Korea. Again, I, my research frontier has moved to South Korea in, in these days, but I still have some pending articles. 
Um, and I don't know, uh, because I know that the Institute of, of Social and Cultural Anthropology has also the gender studies seminar and the refugee, the Compass uh, seminar series. Um, about the uh, gender discrimination, did the socialist agenda eradicate Confucian sun preferences in North Korean household? This is quite an interesting article because we see that South Korea has had one of the, uh, has had even the highest um, sun preference in the world with skewed sex ratios at birth. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and yeah, in these days, but in the in the past, uh, and the um, interesting question here is if the socialist agenda, which is aiming at equalizing male to female ratios um, as a socialist society, has managed to uh, um, actually decrease this Confucian sun preference, preference, which has impacted this Korean Peninsula for centuries. Um, and the other article I have uh, recently submitted is on the meta-analysis of North Koreans that migrate to China, uh, who migrate to China and South Korea, where, where I'm interested in the uh, in the migration markets and the underlying uh, factors of migration, uh, human trafficking, uh, and female exploitations, uh, which certainly take place here, and. It's, emerging issue in these days because uh, thousands of migrants are uh, currently um, coming to South Korea, 3,000 per year, and about several hundred thousand hiding out in China. Um, and yeah, last but not least, this is, this is actually uh, my big baby. <laughs> this is the, on the book manuscript uh, on North Korea, uh, and I'm going to talk about this at uh, Dr. Lewis. Uh, Oriental Institute uh, seminar. Um, so if you're interested, feel free to get in touch with me. Um.